On this edition of Mersey Waves, we're talking neurodiversity. I'm Paul from the communications team, and we're at the ADHD Foundation Annual Conference at the Arena and Convention Centre in Liverpool. It's the largest multidisciplinary conference of its kind in the UK. Cases of ADHD and autism are on the rise, but why is that? How does it affect those concerned? We've brought together a panel of experts to discuss the issues. First, Rory Bremner, one of Britain's best-known comedians, also patron of the ADHD Foundation. Rory, what's your story? You were fairly recently uh, diagnosed with ADHD, that's right. I should point it? out straight away that I'm not an expert uh, on, on anything. Um, <laughs> no, yeah, my, my story um, was really, um, I think as a child, I was sort of quite scatty. I was a little bit all over the place. I was quite irrepressible. Um, but, you know, just kind of, that was normal to me. And it was when a relative of mine was diagnosed about sort of six or seven or maybe a little bit longer ago. Uh, I recognised a lot of the things in them that had, had been played a role in my childhood and they were diagnosed with ADHD um, and suddenly uh, it sort of fell into place this is actually quite a common thing a lot of fathers and mothers in fact um, they they see their sort of their, their daughter or their, their their cousin or whatever um, going through this and they think oh hang on where did this 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 all sounds very very similar so that set me on a path of finding out about ADHD which led to the ADHD foundation and they have this conference every year uh, which brings together the professionals and healthcare workers and teachers and psychiatrists um, and just sharing the knowledge that they have and it's so come on such a long way in the, in the last six or seven years because six or seven years ago I can remember we were still trying to fight a stigma because there was this idea that ADHD um, it was about bad parents and naughty children and that you know these are just badly behaved children and, and really they needed to be um, you know punished or forced out of their behavior now we've got so much more understanding and the science is is out there now and we're able to see in terms of brain scans and in terms of uh, of, of diagnosis and analysis um, that this isn't about bad behavior this is actually about a, a proper neurodevelopmental um, disorder and that's been tremendously helpful because you know the, the science is, is is on our side in a sense um, and now um, far from being something which is seen as a, as a disorder I think it's, it's it's playing into a new understanding of mental health but also of, of neurodiversity where we're acknowledging that people are different people have different um, makeups they learn in different ways uh, we've got a sort of paradigm of learning which is about sitting down and keeping quiet in a classroom that doesn't suit everyone um, just as uh, you know people find different roles and different different jobs and different lifestyles um, and so we're celebrating diversity and ADHD plays into that because we're people who think differently we're wired differently but we have as many strengths as we have weaknesses and I think what's great is going from talking but saying don't stigmatize the weakness to saying champion the strengths and that's what's that's been such a such a good um such a good story i think it's been very positive tony lloyd is also with us chief executive of the adhd foundation uh, for those who don't know it's the largest user-led adhd agency in europe one of the global leaders in the neurodiversity movement and it's based here in liverpool uh, tony how did you come to set up in liverpool well, actually, it was, it, was, it was the local authority um, that set it up. Um, as, as a group within its education department, local authorities had an education department. And obviously, when, when that changed 10 years ago, and, and um, 
they wanted the organisation to become an independent organisation and, and an independent charity, and, and uh, so that's what it did. And, and obviously, then without sort of statutory money, so it was very much about uh, quite a radical sort of service transformation to make it something that was viable and sustainable, um, but also something that was was really innovating and trying to change the national conversation because I think. There are so many great organisations out there and ADHD support groups and charities who are doing fantastic work. Um, we can all do and do and do. There had to come a point where you just think, no, something really needs to happen at a much broader level, both in terms of government policy, in terms of policy within NHS and education. Um, so while what we do is, is quite innovative in terms of we offer a lifespan multimodal service in, in, in Liverpool, which isn't offered anywhere else, um, we do training right across the country and we do work a lot with government at a very high level because we know that this has to benefit everybody. It's not just about what we do in Liverpool. There is a bigger conversation here about moving away, as Rory quite rightly put, from this kind of 19th century sort of deficit model of intelligence and ability and, and moving past all that stigma and stereotyping and actually sort of saying, hang on, there's lots of people out there who are neurodiverse, dyslexia, dyspraxia, autism, um, who are all incredibly successful, but you don't see them because they don't fit this stereotype, because they're not the child who was in the bottom set. They're not the excluded child. Um, and really, it's been about a, a cultural shift to a, a 21st century paradigm, which has really been informed a lot by neuroscience and what we understand about the brain and intelligence and ability now. We should point out that every now and again the Mersey Ferry is going It might be a dentist drill or something. <laughs> you're working, working with what we have in the studio. We certainly are, yes. Um, Joanne Manley is also with us. Um, Joanne, um, you're the parents of, of, of a child with, with ADHD. Tell us, tell us your story. So he's now an adult, to be honest. Um, um, I had Daniel, um, he was my second child, and... He presented with uh, very, very different behaviours to the first, you know, both parented by the same people, and yet his behaviour and um, characteristics were quite obviously different to the first. Often, as it's been mentioned, it can be blamed on parenting and parents, and yet my first was absolutely excelling in everything, and yet the second was notably different. Um, school noticed a big difference in him. They, The same teacher was teaching him that taught the first. Um, and we just thought they were kind of weird and wonderful ways at first, you know, but when they became quite... Um, be- began to impair his development and his life, then we, we kind of had to reach out and ask for some help. And unfortunately, he was misdiagnosed quite a few times, you know. The Ed Psych um, at his school just at first they diagnosed dyslexia you know um which is very commonly linked with adhd a lot of these things are commonly linked and um so he was actually in secondary school before he was diagnosed with adhd um and then i was left with this situation where what do i do now you know when when i was told on the day that it was adhd i remember saying Really, you know, he's, he, he sleeps right through. He's not hyperactive. It can't, he really is. What, what's ADHD? He's not naughty. He's never had a fight in his life. He doesn't fight children. This can't be right, you know. But I was very far removed from any knowledge at that time. I just didn't understand that it doesn't always affect everybody the same. <coughs> can, can I ask how long ago this was? 
this was, um, yeah, it was about eight or nine years ago. That's when I first accessed the ADHD Foundation. It was very new then. And what were some of the characteristics that uh, that the child displayed? Particularly impulsivity for, for my son. He was very, very impulsive with a very... Um, a distinctive lack of danger, you know, um, understanding of danger. For example, we had some scaffolding up the front of the house one time and I came home and just saw these little legs dangling over the top of the scaffolding and he just shouted down, hiya mum. You know, he just jumped up the scaffolding with any any sense of the danger that, that, that it could impose. And there were so many things he um, he had to have. He had sensory issues as well, looking back. Like he preferred me to, to, to cut labels out of his clothes and... Things that just, you know, didn't kind of make sense and, and didn't add up, you know. Um, lining things up and problems at school, he really struggled to concentrate. The teacher said if he spent as much ta- time tapping, you know, as he did concentrating. But that was his coping strategy. He would just tap on the on the desk and look out the window. And one time he got sent out the room because he heard a motorbike go past and he jumped up to see the motorbike and he was sent out the classroom for an hour and a half. And he would, he was just, it was very, very much an impulsivity thing for my son as opposed to hyperactivity. And Rory, so many, Rory, you've been nodding away there. Yeah, well, there's so many things to take up from that. Firstly, the, the first thing that you said about having uh, two children and, and, and the first not affected at all, and the second, that sort of drives a coach and horses to this argument that it's all about bad parents or whatever. Um, I heard a similar story to that, uh, that a, a parent had two children, and the first, in their case, um, had ADHD, and the second um, was, was a very quiet and subdued, and, and they took, took it to the doctor, and they said, well, that's that that's normal <laughs> it was it was actually it was the, the other, other one that around. was off, off the scale the other one second thing you were saying about dyslexia um and it's interesting because they have this, this thing they call the spectrum but um a third of uh, two-thirds of children who have uh, adhd um will have something else going on as well it might be dyslexia it might be dyspraxia it might be dyscalculia you know, where they're hopeless with maths um and and actually, I think a third may have two things going on. So there's there's a lot of there's a lot of complicated um, learning difficulties that are, that are bound up with this. Um, but uh, as I say, you know the, the the journey that you've been on, it's it, it, it's such a learning. We are finding out so much more um, now than we did, you know, even a, a few years ago, and, and, and able to. Um, it's often very difficult as a person, as a parent as well, not to compare because I had one child who has excelled in education. She's just not not long ago got a first in a degree, and yet my my child with ADHD struggled massively, and it was very difficult not to compare, you know, the the two educationally. But he was diagnosed with dyscalculia, dyslexia, so school presented lots of problems for him, and the lack of support, unfortunately, at his school was very very apparent. Today, this is the seventh uh, conference that I've attended, and it's absolutely lovely to see that schools are recognising this condition so much more. Back then, it wasn't as acceptable. Um, he spent more time out of the classroom, unfortunately, than he did inside. He had to go back to education when he finished school at 16 in order to you know, get where he is today. He's now 20. 
Um, and sadly, his school was really not very supportive of t- at all. That's when I reached out a lot to the ADHD Foundation and was supported immensely. I can't thank the Foundation enough for the support that they gave, not just to me, but to the rest of the family as well. And Tony, you, uh, I suspect that this is a very common story that, that you hear the people that, that, that touch base with yourselves. All the time. Um, I mean, you know, I think certainly in primary schools, primary schools tend to be very holistic, very child-centred. Um, they're much more on board. Secondary schools, um, not so much. But I think in fairness, you know, there are a lot of very dedicated and informed teachers out there, certainly within primary education. I think within secondary education, not so much. I think, you know, if one in five people are neurodiverse, so one in five learners in every high school has some kind of learning difference, why do you have one member of staff who's a Senko responsible for the needs of all those children it should be we need to get away from this idea that there is something less than about those young people that they have a different type of intelligence that we are not really enabling them to achieve their potential that we understand that when a child is moving and fidgeting that's the way the brain produces more of a chemical called dopamine to help them concentrate so actually tell them to sit still is counterproductive um, there's lots of information out there that unfortunately has just not got through in terms of, um, uh, you know, a lot of teachers. Um, it's not that they're not dedicated, it's not that they don't care, it's just that, you know, they're not really given the training that they need. And it's really interesting, isn't it, that it's industry and commerce who are actively recruiting neurodiverse uh, employees and graduates. Uh, and these are the young people who the schools see as troublesome and, and, and if you look at exclusion rates, 7 out of 10 school exclusions are for children who are neurodiverse and we need to get away from this idea that you know, they're badly behaved and all that. No, it's about the fact that school and our model of education is often so stressful for those 1 in 5 children that with the best of intentions sometimes we can do a lot of harm and that's I know what happened to Joanne's son who I got to know quite well he came to China with us believe it or not on an an amazing young guy very very bright um, very capable uh, lovely personality um, but didn't have that kind of mind that did well in standardized tests in school because he hasn't got a standardized mind uh, and I think it's unfortunate, really, that it's took until now before we're really beginning to realise the potential and, and, and the enormous talent in the neurodiverse pupils that is just not being realised in schools. Yes, as you said, in fact, up to now, we've sort of been concentrating on the weaknesses and yeah. sort of saying, well, you know, that was, it was impulsive or was excluded or whatever. We're now beginning to concentrate on the strengths that, the, that people who think differently, um, what they can bring. To, to, to a workforce, what they can bring to society because, you know, at the, at the scientific level, this is a, a, a gene that uh, Tony was talking about that hasn't been eradicated and, and uh, selected out, if you like, by, by nature over the years. It's actually... It's actually um, part of human diversity. It's part of human diversity. And yeah. uh, as Eric Taylor, who's one of the great sort of ADHD experts, he said to me, he said, they, we need ADHD people. He said, we're the ones who eat the poisoned fruit. <laughs> he said, we're the kind of the, the, you know, the, 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 the pacemakers, we're the, the, uh, the, the, the outliers. Uh, and and we're in, interestingly now, <clears throat> so many things are coming together. We talk about the disruptive sorry, disruptive technology where people come with, with different ideas, radical ideas, which are changing the way we think. Um, and at the forefront of those are people who think differently. So I think we're, we're at a time when so many, where understanding of mental health issues is, and understanding of ADHD is coinciding with understanding of the benefits 
to society and to industry of people who think differently. So it's an exciting time, I think. And so we were able to talk about strengths and, and be positive and be optimistic uh, rather than in the past that we've done to, to, to concentrate on where where the failings are in schools. Do, do you think, Joanne, that, you know, that, that there is that shift, not just within education, but also within public perception around this as well? Yes, I do. I definitely do. Because um, I have experienced negativity, especially with family members, sadly, who would say things like, oh, you know, actually one old school family member said it's because you're too soft with them. You know, this kind of mentality, whether it's kind of a scouse thing or what, I don't know. But that I have had things like that said. And yet this same family member now with some education that I've been able to offer, thanks to the education that I've received from the foundation, they have changed their perspective on, this, on the, the condition. Um, this morning we had um, a, a talk at the conference and one of the um, speakers described ADHD as somebody with um, the mind of a Ferrari, but with the brakes, the brakes are of a bicycle, mm-hmm. and that's kind of really summed up my son. <coughs> son, you know, because his mind is so, it's wonderful. It's wonderful the way he is as a person, which wouldn't change at all. In fact, I envy him sometimes because he, he actually is so such an amazing thinker, you know. And yeah, he just didn't have the guidance in school, sadly. And he's he's now a mechanic. A mechanical engineer he's doing really really well for himself you know thank goodness because he came out of that particular school and did eventually get the right support and education and all along it's sad to think that it was always there but he was just never guided properly or the teachers were just never really um they just didn't understand at all i think uh, i remember one particular time when um tony offered the, his particular school a, a training day and it was put out to the teachers that this training day was was about to 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 take place. One one teacher turned up, one teacher, you know, and, and there were there were so many teachers. I think there were, there were at least 50, 60 teachers, and one turned up. Thankfully, not every school is like that, and thankfully it's moved on now. And this was a long time ago, considerably, but um, that's how it was for him. Sadly, that's how it was for him. And yet, that mind was always there, and that capability was always there, but just didn't have the right. Uh, education he, for the educators. Does he love the mechanical engineering things? Always, really always, always. Cars. Put a bike together, take it <laughs> yeah. apart. Brilliant, yeah. brilliant. Boy. Yeah. See, yeah. this is the thing that actually one of the and, and the ADHD Foundation have brought out this sort of uh, comic, as it were, which is uh, they've, they've made. It's got five ambassadors, uh, real life ambassadors, and they've made them uh, comic book characters and brought out this lovely uh, comic book called The Umbrella Gang. Um, and it's about um, all the things that they are they are able to do because because uh, they've got superpowers and the superpower that people have with ADHD is the ability to really hyper focus and concentrate on something that engages their intention uh, their attention. Imagine if you're it's a common an, an analogy if you're in a department store and they're selling televisions and you look at six television screens and they're all showing something different and you're sort of flicking from screen to screen and then suddenly those all flick to one program one thing and it's a little bit like that with an ADHD brain for those who don't understand imagine a day in a, an open plan office where you're sitting at a desk somebody next to you is talking on the telephone the other person's watching television uh, there's a television two televisions on the wall of the office one showing sport one showing sort of sky news or something there's a fire engine going past like happened when uh, Daniel's it mm. was was excluded um, the phone's ringing you're trying to answer emails and you're on a deadline now you're not going to produce your best work but that's what it's like like quite a lot of the time 
in an ADHD brain. It's called attention deficit. I always think that's wrong because it's attention surfeit. You're paying attention to too many things. Your brain is, you're, there's too many things going on and, and you're not concentrating maybe on the one thing that, that person wants you to concentrate on. But when you find something that engages you and interests you, boy oh boy, to the exclusion of everything else, and you forget about time, which itself is a problem sometimes you forget about time you just think oh i'm really interested in that so just as daniel is you know he's, he's putting bikes together taking yeah. them it's apart. also the spark of genius isn't it yes. I mean, yes. there was that paper that was published this year by those researchers in cambridge about they did a full analysis of leonardo da vinci and said he most definitely had adhd <laughs> but an awful lot of very famous mm. historical people who's talked about uh, thomas edison this morning oh, right. and um einstein they talk yeah about well something. einstein of course didn't even speak until he was six years of age did you not? Though? No, it's, so you know, there's, again, there's just so much kind of misunderstanding, isn't mm, there, mm. about something that is a natural variation in human neurology. You know, these people are not errors of genetics. They haven't got something wrong with them. They are classified or as having something wrong with them because we're trying to knock square pegs into round holes from the age of five. And of course, there's something wrong with trying to knock a square peg into a round hole. Well, maybe let's not try knocking square pegs into round holes. And then you will see all that potential and talent unleashed and I think also you know we've got to acknowledge the fact that with the best of intentions until we change our educational model we are going to continue to do a lot of harm mm. to one in five children and that's something I think you know that that really does need to change you know it, it can be incredibly difficult for children who have learning differences and it can be incredibly crushing for them, as I know it was for, for Joanne's son, where they're somehow considered less than, that they're the stupid kids, that they're the ones that are not going to achieve, that they're the ones that are not really interested in school because the only thing that really matters in high school is getting a grade eight. Well, actually, intelligence is so much more than an ability to pass an exam. Do you think that um, government hears that? Because there's been changes to the curriculum in recent years which are much more you know, academically focused in terms of traditional exams and stuff. I think the Department of Health certainly gets it. I think certainly the Department of Justice certainly gets it. I don't think our Department for Education at the moment um, quite gets it. I think it was rather counter to their kind of educational ideology. Um, uh, you know, I know Amanda Spielman, who's the head of Ofsted, has done rather a lot to kind of try and um, change things and, and all credit to her for that but I think we still have a long way to go within our education system culturally there needs to be a paradigm shift I think there are pluses and minuses I think certainly that the Gove regime where it was like so let's get back to you know the old days and sort of standards and things well that doesn't fit everybody and but a more positive thing, I think, more recently, where people have been moving towards BTECs uh, instead of you know being examined examined on the day. BTECs are a sort of slightly more over the course of the year and more coursework and stuff, and that sometimes works in favour uh, of somebody who uh, uh, who is able to 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 produce if they're sort of kept you know um, kept in line regu regularly and not it doesn't all depend on doing an exam at the end of the day. Um, you know, one exam on a certain day at a certain time. And they could be having just an, an off day, and yeah. it, it, so it's it's as as Tony was saying, you know, it's you, you need to examine in different different minds in different ways. Well, also as well, I mean, Rory, you're absolutely right. But our education system, which fundamentally actually hasn't changed that much in the past two hundred years, you know, was was fit for purpose at the time. 
But the world has changed so much. I mean, even in the past 20 years, the world has changed so much. Society has changed so much. Our employment, our commerce has changed so much. Um, our education model hasn't changed with scientific progress and technological progress. And, and that's, I think, sort of, I think a very telling challenge, isn't it, for anybody who's working in education now, that actually that model doesn't fit the 21st century. <laughs> Didn't you say what's that, that sort of sit, sit down and listen model of education? It was relatively recent. Well, it was kind of, that, I mean, the best of intentions, we decided we we're going to give all children an education in the 18th, sort of 19th century. But somebody somewhere decided that children sitting down still in a chair remembering lots of facts which they were then tested on at the end of the year was how you discerned what intelligence was. Well, I'm sorry, but we all know that the human brain works better when the body is moving. Mm. We know now because of the neuroscience that actually that notion of what intelligence is is actually quite incorrect. Um, it's just that I think that, that scientific research around the brain and around learning um, hasn't really filtered through to our education system or our, our concept of what intelligence is. On a positive note, um, I, I, I personally experienced that um, this isn't the case in the health industry. I work at Alderhey Children's Hospital and I've worked there for 15 years and I've noticed particularly over say the last six or seven years a huge increase on acceptance and help for children with learning disabilities, neurodiverse children. Um, we have a very new uh, learning disabilities team now and they liaise with parents and create a pathway for children with the likes of ADHD, autism and other um, um, conditions like this. Whereas years ago when I first started there that was never ever the case you know somebody would come in with with conditions like that and there was no provision for them or very little provision for them so thankfully I am seeing with my own eyes and experience on a day-to-day -day basis where I work that these children are actually getting much better care in that area it's just I just hope that it does spill out into the education it certainly is in the primary school system yeah there's fantastic work I know happening in this city but all over the country because we're all over the country training teachers Primary education is, is, is doing, by and large, a brilliant job. I and think yet, in secondary education, there's a long way to go. I would say that secondary education is where the problem lay, because as my son went from the primary school where it was, he was just confined to one class, one teacher, it was quite easy. He then went to secondary school and had to find his way around multiple classrooms and one day with multiple teachers. And for want of a better phrase, his head fell off. You know, that's where his ADHD really did. And unfortunately, was getting detention. Was getting detention <laughs> for, for getting his pen, and, and yeah. you're trying to explain to the teacher that giving him a detention isn't going to improve his memory. Exactly. It's there is this again this idea I think amongst, you know, um, and this is not teacher bashing at all because there are some fantastic teachers out there, and I've been married to a teacher for 25 years. But, but this idea that you know, well, all behaviour is chosen. Well, actually, no, it isn't. I know plenty of grown-ups who behave in ways and they don't really understand their own behaviour or why they do it. And to expect that of children, I think, is, is, is crassly unrealistic. What we want to do is enable children to learn how to be the best that they can be. And I think that's where there's a disconnect. We haven't quite understood how to do that properly. Just thinking that people often sort of ask me, you know, having heard me do interviews or programmes about it, they say, look, look, my son or my daughter has ADHD, what, what advice can you give? And the thing is always to me, it's, it's, it's 
don't beat yourself up about it and don't don't let them beat themselves up about it because you know if you are in some if you're dropping the ball if you are forgetting things if you are failing if you are being told off somebody just told me outside the room they said that by the time you're 12 an ADHD child would have heard 20,000 negative messages you'd have been told you know 20,000 uh, ne- negative thoughts of saying don't do this don't do that why are you doing that so by the age of 12 and how crushing that is so I say don't don't let them beat themselves up because if they've gone wrong they, they, they're being they're giving themselves a hard time as well uh, and it's and embrace it because it is in if, if if somebody has ADHD that's what makes them who they are that's what is part of their character it's what makes them who they are and the most successful way as I may have said earlier um, of managing it is to find a, 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 a way of life or lifestyle or, or a career um, where it's it's an asset uh, and, and where actually the brain that you have is an asset rather than something that people are constantly complaining about. I think you've just touched on it there. I mean, what does what you know for you for you all? Um, what does what does the you know what does the future look like when you know in ten years time where would you want to be? The neurodiverse canon is here. <laughs> I think is, um, it's happening in industry. Um, the stigma and the stereotype is beginning to go. I think the final frontier will be in education. They, that, I think that's where um, we're seeing the, 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 you know, the, the, the resistance to change. Um, you know, and, and don't forget, most people who work in education succeeded within that paradigm. They're neurotypical. They've never left school. Mm-hmm. They don't know any different, and they see anybody who is different from that model as as a potential disruptor. I guess. Um, so things are definitely getting better. It's interesting, though, that it, it's being led by industry rather than rather than by education. But I think you know, knowledge is power. Information. Um, the more we understand human nature in all its beautiful variety and vulnerability um you know then you know we're we're going to do a lot of children um a lot of good uh, i think you know there are some very positive things happening joanne well i couldn't have put it any better than tony just has um but particularly what as he just to touch on it from a parent point of view my um my hope is that particularly teaching assistants are given much more education on ADHD because I found that my son spent most of his time with teaching assistants, not teachers. The teachers were teaching the neurotypical child. He was with the teaching assistant. That's what I would like to see, teaching assistants getting much more um, education on ADHD. And Rory, for you, I mean, you know, you obviously feel it's really important to, you know, to speak out about, about this as an issue. Um, yes, I mean, it's, it's a duty in a way because you realise you know, once you take a step into this world that if we're looking at one in 20, that's we're talking about half a million children, maybe more, um, and not necessarily half a million families because some families will have more than one ADHD child in the family. But you realise just, uh, you know, one in every classroom, you realise how wide this whole issue is. So you're speaking directly to so many families and so many children and saying, look, you know, don't beat yourself up. We can really um, we can we can take the strengths uh, from this, and and uh, I think as we said earlier on, we've got a society which is uh, both um, not just embracing diversity, but actually uh, finding that it's it, it's it's the future. And finally, um, from each of you, start with you, Tony. One piece of advice for a parent. I think Rory's just said it all. Really. Um, Believe in your child. 
I just want to say one thing. I did meet, meet somebody at a conference a couple of years ago, and he had a child with ADHD, a daughter, and she went to university, she had a child, and she's doing really well. And I said, so how did you manage? How did you cope? And he said, he said, do you know what? He said, we just loved her. Yeah. And that's, by that, I mean, it's, 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 it's just you're there for them. You support them. and Because uh, unconditional love is the greatest thing yeah. we can give to any child. And to these children in particular, you know, you'll find all sorts of uh, challenges. But if fundamentally they have unconditional love, then that's a wonderful thing to have. Absolutely. Definitely, love never fails. But for me personally, I was really helped with knowledge because I knew no, I didn't know the first thing about it. But thankfully, the foundation educated me on this condition. And then I was um, able to be my son's voice and, and it gave me a, a sense of power that could really support him. So educate yourself on the condition as well. Well, thank you all um, panel members for a fascinating discussion. Robbie Bremner, Tony Lloyd and Joanne Manley. That's the end of this Mersey Waves episode. Thanks for listening. Please make sure you subscribe and why not leave us a review? You can also get in touch with us at hello at merseywaves.co.uk. Thank you.